And that's fine, Taylor. It's fine. It's fine. It's your business. No problem. But let's call a spade a spade. This is what it is. And this is what it is not. That's all I'm asking for. Let's acknowledge reality. You want to run it that way? Cool. All good. Let's just be real. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. I'm joined today once again by professional footballer and former youth player of Brian Clyburn, Taylor Davila. By the way, Taylor's doing really good in the USL Championship. As a 22-year-old central midfielder playing for the RGV Toros, he's leading the league in chances created. This time he chose to have a chat about the salary cap in Major League Soccer. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? How does it affect academy kids? What impacts does the salary cap have, not just on the sporting side, but on the human side? Because let's not forget this is not, and I repeat, not just a game. People's opportunities, potential, and livelihoods are affected. How a system is regulated, how contracts are structured, all of these things off the field end up determining whether a player, for example, is even capable of achieving their true earning potential. or in some cases, maybe even many cases, end up condemning a player to economic purgatory their entire careers, literally capped at a spot that does not match their sporting or business value. So no matter where you happen to find yourself in the American soccer landscape, whether you're a youth coach, a parent of a player, a fan, the media, anyone and anywhere at all, if you want to best navigate your path, it's best to be educated on how even ecosystems that seem disconnected from you, disconnected from your current circumstances, actually work. Because the reality, guys, is that they are not disconnected. And the sooner you understand, the sooner you learn, the better off you'll be. Per usual and by design, Taylor did not give me any prior notice on what topic we were going to discuss. So this is an entirely off-the-cuff chat from my end. I hope you enjoy and I also hope you find insights that aren't discussed in the mainstream. Cough, cough, for good reason. First, a quick note on what sponsors this episode, which, by the way, will absolutely help you leapfrog your competition. And I'm speaking to both coaches or parents of players. Whether you are a coach or a parent of a player, there is an educational product that you must get aboard. For coaches, that product can be found at 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. For parents, your capability to best guide your kid will vastly improve by jumping in the program at 343masterclass.com. Most important to note that these are products from the folks who have actually trained, guided, and mentored many, many players from the age of nine up to and through being professionals. So there's an unprecedented abundance of direct experience in the things you'll be learning. Again, the education comes straight from the source. And now, for a bit more detail, and then we'll get into the episode. Have you ever wondered why so many professional soccer players had a parent who was also a pro? Yes, yes, one can cite nepotism and the network that parent must also have. No question that's part of it, no question. But the kid also had to be at least good enough to a certain base level. And that's also where a former pro or an exceptional mentor gives the kid an unfair advantage. Why? Well, 
because they know what it takes and what specific things are important when it comes to the technical, tactical, physical, and also critically important mental side of the equation. Meanwhile, parents who don't have that background are stuck trying to navigate a complex system they aren't experts in and also trying to navigate a flood of never-ending information online, most of which, by the way, is really bad information and really bad advice. Next thing you know, years and years have gone by of you investing countless hours trying to figure out what's actually going on and how to best guide your kid. And by the time you figured out some important things, it's too late. Your kid is already pretty much done with soccer or too far behind to catch up. We've seen it happen to hundreds of players we've coached from eight years of age up to and including current professionals. Parents, you have a huge influence over whether your kid, quote unquote, fulfills their potential or not. That's why we developed the 343 Masterclass for you, the parents. The goal is to give you tools in one place so that you can substantially and relatively quickly close the gap with those parents who happen to have a lifetime of professional experience within this sport. Tools that help you far better discern truth, and forgive the French, from bullshit in the player development ecosystem. And tools that enable you to actually train your own kid as well, if you'd like to do that. Please. Do your kids a favor. All it takes is going to 343masterclass.com, getting on the email list, and we'll send you enrollment information. Now, for all you coaches out there, you can join over 1,000 of your colleagues by getting aboard the 343 Coaching Education Program. You can find both free and premium options for you at 343coaching.com. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well go to 7v7coaching.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right, let's get into today's episode. So today I want to talk about the salary cap. In MLS, there have been a couple of recent events that have inspired me to talk about this subject. Obviously, with Messi coming to MLS, we all know that he's not just being paid straight money. He's gotten a bunch of deals. They've made creative deal in enticing him to come to Inter Miami. And then also recently, UEFA mentioned that they might be considering putting a salary cap on the teams in Europe. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about salary cap, how this affects the MLS, whether this was necessary to help grow the teams in MLS and whether it's still necessary right now or if it's preventing future growth in MLS. Got it. Oh, man, so much to say here. I'll start off by saying MLS, and I'm no stranger to this, the roster rules, the rules in general, there's so many and they're so incredibly convoluted that nobody really has an amazing grasp of it all. Nobody can come out and just start spitting all kinds of facts and understanding all the mechanics and all the mechanisms. Even to this day, there are things like the discovery list. I don't know if you've heard of that before, where every franchise can put on a list, literally, of players that they are, globally, by the way, that they quote unquote discovered, right? But anybody can be on the list. Messi could be on someone's list. and 
nobody discovered Messi, but if you're the first one to put him on your discovery list, you have priority to acquire that player over everybody else. So it's interesting, right? It was Messi on Miami's discovery list. It's so silly. So this leads us to MLS and its franchise basically violating its own rules, even though you can't point the finger and say, aha, look, because there's no transparency or visibility into these sorts of things. The public can't say, look, you just broke your rule. Messi was on Portland's discovery list. What is he doing over in Miami? So with respect to salary caps, we can do a bit of educated speculation, perhaps in the very beginning of the league back in 96, when there was no division one professional soccer at the time, because the prior league had folded NASL, which also famously had a lot of world-class players come over like Pelé, Beckenbauer, et cetera. When they're first starting out, it makes sense. Okay, guys, all the owners get together. We're only going to spend this much per team. We want to have this parity sort of situation exist so that every team has an opportunity to win just as much as everybody else. That way that the fan base will remain engaged throughout the course of the season, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So cost controls, salary controls made a lot of sense. And it also makes a lot of sense, obviously, because on the revenue side of the equation, they aren't getting that much revenue from any source. So great. Fast forward now to 2023. Obviously, the number of franchises has grown a lot. I think we're at 30 at this point, if I'm not mistaken, counting or not counting the new ones that are coming in, obviously, all the time or every other year. And now the situation has changed. Yes. Do you really need this salary cap anymore? Or do we really need it at the levels that it currently exists? One thing that should be remarked is let's make the numbers even. Okay, Taylor, just so we can have a good reference point. Let's say that the salary cap was $10 million per team. The thing to keep in mind is that that $10 million can't be spent. However, the team, i.e. the franchise sees fit. They can't distribute it as they like. You then have subsections of the roster that have to fall within certain categories. Yeah. You have the designated players, which you can pay over $1.6 million to, and you can have three, right? Then you have the next strata of players, which are so-called TAM players, targeted allocation money, where you can pay them anywhere between 600 or so K to 1.6 million or so. And that money's above the 600 K threshold doesn't count against your $10 million limit. Yes. Yes. Every individual player cannot take up more than 600,000 on the salary cap. Right. Then you have the rest of the roster and you spray money around there as you want. Sure. There's other little groups like the under 22 initiative where you can pay them over 200 and some odd K or whatever to 600 K. And then you have the homegrowns and whether they count against the cap or don't. So you see how convoluted it already gets. One thing that I've always criticized and for over 10 years now is you want a salary cap? Great. Fine. I understand the rationale. But how about letting the franchise or the teams spend it however they want? Does that make sense? That way you can have a team comprised, if it's $10 million, right? You can have a team of 20 players. I'm keeping the numbers simple here. Team of 20 players. And you can spray out half a million to each of them. Is that team a better roster, a better team with better players on average than a team that has three DPs, a couple little guys under the DPs, and then everybody else gets paid peanuts. 
You see what I'm saying? It opens the possibilities of the type of player that you can have on your roster. You have a lot more freedom to assemble a roster as you see fit, if that makes sense. Currently, you need 20 players on your roster who count towards the salary cap, and there can only be three DPs, as you said. You can trade for more TAM players. You can trade general allocation money, which all these super complicated aspects of the rules. And inevitably, you're going to be having a couple players if you want to be paying these designated players a lot of money who are making less than $100,000 a year. Yeah. And those guys, unfortunately, a lot of them are the homegrowns. Yeah. You're basically kind of like locked into that sort of salary territory for God knows how long. And you're basically subsidizing the big money players. Ah, we're just going to pay you 80K so-and-so and we pay you only 80K instead of 300 or 400 or 500K. So that delta we can use to pay the other guys up top, which is kind of messed up, you know? Anyways, I think we're at the point where the league and the franchise owners, which by the way are billionaires, billionaires with a B, Taylor, you don't have to be penny pinching like this anymore. Let's kind of like loosen the strings a little bit and you can spend or not spend if you want. No problem. If you want to spend peanuts, go ahead and spend peanuts. No big deal. But if you want to spend big or bigger, go for it. Billionaires with a B. These guys have the money. If they want to spend it, they can spend it. No problem. One soccer opinion is that the United States marketplace for soccer is very restricted right now. If we loosen the salary cap, if we loosen the rules, the market will take care of itself. More money will come in. Bigger players will come in. The freedom will come in and just the league will be better for it. And right now we're on the same track as the Saudi Arabian leagues and the Chinese leagues who in 2017, the Chinese league bought all these huge name players that were paying them huge amounts of money, like 80, $40 million a year, huge amounts of money. And I don't know if they were developing their youth academies at all. I hadn't heard anything about that, but they're bringing in these huge name players rely on them to build the league and to build soccer in China. And where are they now? That style of relying on the star players and only the star players and only paying these star players huge amounts of money and just giving everyone else peanuts or giving your youth academy peanuts, just survive if you can. This method has been shown not to work in helping soccer grow in your country. It's an interesting angle. Because as you know, that's the technique or tactic that MLS has been using for a very long time in the very early days, late nineties, and the first handful of years that the league was around some of these sort of gimmicks were deployed. So I don't know if you know who Andrew Shu is. Andrew Shu was a Hollywood actor. He was on popular shows back in the day, like Melrose Place. And he also played soccer. He loved soccer. He played growing up just like many of us did. And he had some decent skills, but he was by no means like a pro level caliber player. And yet the LA Galaxy signed him. It was like a publicity stunt sort of thing. And it caught the attention of Hollywood and they filmed at the Rose Bowl or whatever the boxes. And there were some Hollywood actors and actresses who showed up because you well, Andrew Shu might get in the game. So that didn't last very long. It was like a little transient. And if we stick obviously with the Galaxy, I'm not going to go through the whole league history. David Beckham comes in. That also gave a nice spike. Oh, well, before David Beckham, a bunch of Mexicans, right? From down south, our friends down south, Guatemoc Blanco, 
they escape my mind at the moment, but yeah, like a quote, Banco comes here. I think it went to Chicago in the very beginning. You get a nice little spike of interest. Ooh, and you get the Mexican audience kind of tuning into some games, but then it fades, right? Beckham comes in, you get a nice little spike of attention and then it fades. In math and physics, we like to call these, or we do call these transients, transient signals. You get this peak in your signal and then it decays, right, over time. And I think the business model here is the league, the business owners, the hope is they understand this. They're not dumb, right? You get this spike and when it decays back down, that the new level where it decays back down to is at least a little bit higher than it was prior to, say, a David Beckham. Yeah, so now Messi comes, you get this huge peak and it'll decay, right, over time. But I think the hope is that what it decays down to, that new base level will be above what it previously was. That seems to be the approach, yeah? And that seems to be the approach also of like the Saudi League or the Chinese Super League or the ones that you mentioned as well. That's a very interesting point because with the salary cap, with an individual player only being allowed to take up 600000 of the salary cap, you can technically pay your designated players as much as you want. And that's what teams have done with David Beckham or Zlatan Ibrahimovic or Lionel Messi. But also in 2006, I feel the MLS has at least tried to take some of this money that isn't being spent on player wages, and they have at least tried to put them in the youth academies. Since 2006, MLS has told all their teams that they need to have some sort of a youth academy. And on average, each youth academy costs about $3 million a year to run and operate and manage. And so I feel that some of the money not being spent on player wages has been put into the youth academy. And while the MLS has brought in these big star players and in the transient signals after these star players have reached their peak and they brought the league up and the level of interest up a little bit, once it goes down, that time that the star players have bought essentially has given more time to the youth academies to get better and better. And I feel they have gotten better, honestly. Yeah. So comments on the academy. Okay. That is a alternate strategy, a different strategy. Yes, it's you develop players within your hometown, your region. And the idea, globally speaking, goes that there is now a connection with the community in that sense. Oh, this kid grew up in South Central. Oh, this kid grew up wherever it is, Irvine or Orange County or whatever. And that will attract a more stable amount of attention over time, especially if it's not just one homegrown player, but it's two, three, four, five, seven who are constantly on television. And the hope is that the community kind of grew up with these players in some sort of way. Also, the challenge is that overseas, the community is very much tied to or linked with the clubs. And so the communities do know about these players in the academies. Here in the States, who knows about the players in the academies? Nobody knows who the players in the academies are. Nobody gives a shit who the players in the academies are. The only time they kind of care is more on a national scale when a player or two from a franchise gets called to a youth national team and the youth national team maybe plays in a U-17 World Cup or a U-20 World Cup. And then these players' names get some recognition nationally and within the local community. And so then if that player gets signed and actually plays games on the first team, then there is a little 
sense of, ooh, I know who that is. I used to watch him with the youth national teams. This is interesting. Let's see how he does on the first team. And if he does well, there's more of a link. If he does poorly, then well, he kind of disappears and fades into nothingness. Let me comment one more thing, and then I'll hand it over to you again with respect to academies. It's interesting also in the sense that there's an argument here in the States by folks who really are protective of the league and its franchises, the MLS demographic, because they've been programmed to think certain things. There's this argument that goes like, well, look, the NFL is successful without adopting an ecosystem like in Europe or South America or Africa, right? An open ecosystem. The NBA is successful without adopting overseas sorts of ways of operating. Major League Baseball is successful for doing it the American way. So we know how to do sports and MLS is no different. We'll do it the American way. It's just that MLS doesn't have a hundred year history, they'll say. Tying it to academies, it's quite interesting though. If that were true, why did MLS decide to go away from the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA model when it comes to young players or developing young players or acquiring young players for the first team? Why didn't they stick to high school, to college, to draft, to pro? They tried from the very beginning to do that. Didn't work because the players weren't good enough. So they copied how it was done overseas. They developed internal academies, internal farms to develop players. So already this argument is broken in that, and it breaks down in a whole variety of ways, but we're strictly talking about salary caps and getting players to the first team. And this one that you mentioned, the academy, already breaks the narrative that doing it the other sports ways works. It doesn't work. That's why we're doing it the European way now, not the European way the global way, because everybody does this. And you've mentioned it before. Why not just copy these other countries? It, it works, works, Taylor. It freaking works, dude. It works beyond the sporting side. The sporting side is not what I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is equal opportunity, openness, and everybody has the chance to build their own thing and take it as far as they can. And with an open ecosystem, this is correlated with a salary cap versus non-salary cap. If it's open and you can do it how they do it all around the world, these franchises will be able to spend as they see fit individually, not as some overarching regulatory body tells them how to spend. If I'm LA, if I'm Portland, if I'm Seattle, if I'm Dallas, we can have completely different ways of developing players, acquiring players. How do we want to build a roster? Screw your 3DPs. I'm going to save that $10 million a year that I'm paying for Chicharito. No, I'm going to acquire 10 players and pay each of those 10 players $1 million. You know what I can do then? I can go to Argentina, Uruguay, or Italy, or France, or whatever, and I can acquire well, for a $1 million salary, I can get really good players. I would rather have 10 $1 million a year salary players than one Chicharito. I think the team would be way better. If you did that, I agree. And I want to tie this back into salary cap and copying how it is globally and creating an open ecosystem. UEFA's financial fair play regulations. I don't know how you feel about these, but the stated purpose of the financial fair play regulations is not to make all clubs equal in size and wealth, but to create an improved environment 
where investing in the future is better rewarded so that more clubs can be credible long-term investment prospects. And they do this by placing limits on how much teams can spend based on the revenue that each individual team brings in. It's not a continental-wide, you have $5 million to spend on player wages, you need this many players on your roster, you need this many additional players on your roster, paying them $80,000 a year. Each team still has their own individuality based on the revenue that they bring in. They can spend the money however they want, like you said. And this just gives them the freedom to to be their own franchise. They don't have to be constricted by these rules. Yeah. Okay. So on financial fair play, there's a lot of controversy over that. I'm by no means an expert in it. The one thing I'll comment on that is related to the salary cap topic that you chose and the model that we have over here versus the model that we have over there is that it serves in a significant way to lock in the top clubs in being the top clubs in perpetuity over there. And it doesn't really help the medium or smaller tier clubs really build their way up. Because if you're a Man City, if you're a Madrid, if you're all these teams, and sure, they've been at the top of the pile for quite a while now, clearly they're going to have way more revenue than if you're Luton Town or SCA Bar yeah, in Spain. And so according to financial fair play, you're going to be able to spend a lot more as a consequence of that versus your smaller rivals aren't going to be able to keep up with you or even get to you ever because their revenue is forever smaller, right? They can grow, don't get me wrong, but the rate at which they're going to grow, it will never catch up. It might take you 50 years or 100 years if you're lucky and you do everything perfectly. So financial fair play in that sense locks in the super clubs to always being super clubs versus I mentioned Man City. Well, Man City was a quote unquote small club. It was in the lower divisions of England for a very long time. And then sure, controversial investors aside, oil money or whatever it is that people have a beef with, they came in, pumped in a whole bunch of cash and Man City went to the moon. That is allowed in an open ecosystem. And I think it should be allowed. That's my thing. I don't think you should have Let's say you're a small club, Taylor, you're running a small club and you have ambitions and goals and dreams and desires and stuff. And then here comes this body and tells you, well, Taylor, you're never going to get there because these rules are set up where you're not going to be able to spend enough to get there. So it doesn't matter if you bring in wealthy investors to your operation and you say, hey, you can have a certain percentage of my club. And if you invest 5 million, 10 million, 320 million, a billion you're not going to be able to spend it. So it doesn't matter. So you don't bring in those investors. And so your club can't grow and your community can't grow. So I'm kind of like an open market absolutist. I believe in it so much. Let the market decide who rises and who falls. And it's tied to MLS. People here will say, oh, well, see, Gary, MLS is better because here we have parity and everybody is the same and everybody can't outspend anybody else. What they miss is that MLS is the only club in town. MLS is the club. Portland, Seattle, Dallas, Houston, New York, Miami, they aren't clubs. They are franchises. They are outlets of the one single club that is MLS. So from that vantage point, it's the same club that wins every single year. It's the same club that is in perpetuity at the top of the pyramid. 
It's not multiple clubs, if that makes sense, Taylor. So this whole idea of being fair and equitable and everybody can only spend the same amount, it's pretty silly. You've talked about it. These two ideas and how it's being run in Europe and how it's being run in MLS, they're very different in Europe. It's much easier for the big clubs to stay big and to continue succeeding. And with that open market idea, you allow clubs to fail. In MLS, clubs aren't allowed to fail. They have a bad season. It's not really considered failing. They don't get relegated. Nothing happens. And you mentioned it with Man City. They were in maybe the third, fourth tier in England. They rose up to the second tier. They made it to the Premier League. And all of a sudden, they're bought by these big money players. And this has allowed them to invest a bunch in their club and to get to the top. I'm arguing with the salary cap, with this lack of open market, what inspires clubs to go above and beyond to succeed? If you've hit rock bottom, I can argue that you want to get to the top more than anybody else. Yeah, well, there is nothing. We have to understand what MLS is, Taylor, and what the franchises are. They are an purely and exclusively an entertainment product. What they are selling is entertainment. They're selling something to do on a weekend or if they play during the week, during the week. They are selling to families or whatever, and the family's making a decision. Oh, hey, kids. Hey, guys, what do you want to do? Should we go to the movies? Do we want to go visit your friend Luke? Should we go to the Houston Dynamo game? That is what they are selling. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's go to the Houston Dynamo game. Okay, they'll go. They'll get the hot dogs and the nachos and run around the stadium a little bit, maybe get an autograph, come home. And that's it. Win, lose, or draw. Mm, that's like a secondary thing. That's not really that important. What's important is going out and having a good time with friends or family and being distracted from life for a couple hours and then coming home. That is what's being sold here, Taylor. You're not being sold a sport. You're not being sold a competition. And overseas, that is the attraction. It is a legitimate club that you feel a part of, and you're basically going to quote unquote war with another tribe of people who support their team. Yeah. Here, think about that family that I just painted. They're not going to the game to go to war with anybody. They're going to the game to just get their hot dogs and nachos and laugh a little bit and be distracted and then hop in their car and then maybe get some ice cream on the way home and go home. That's what they're going there for. So when you're asking about salary caps and improving the quality of the product and of the team and make it a higher level, and if you're like in last place, you really want to get to the top, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's fine, Taylor. It's fine. It's fine. It's your business. No problem. But let's call a spade a spade. This is what it is, and this is what it is not. That's all I'm asking for. Let's acknowledge reality. You want to run it that way? Cool. All good. Let's just be real. Exactly. I want to shift focus a little bit right now. I want to talk a little bit about how salary cap has maybe helped bring players like David Beckham and Lionel Messi into the league. I want to talk about Messi's contract a little bit. Well, first, we all know he was offered maybe $200 million a year to go play in Saudi Arabia. And instead, he chose Inter Miami, where his contract is, in terms of cash, he's getting maybe around $50 million a year. But He's getting an ownership stake in Inter Miami. He's getting an ownership stake in Adidas, who they already pay him as their sponsored athlete. Getting an ownership stake in Apple, who 
all of the MLS games are available on Apple streaming service. He's getting an ownership stake in Fanatics, which sells all types of sports merchandise. He's getting an ownership stake in all these companies that he's going to help grow. This potential for growth, this kind of, it's not money, but he's going to help these companies grow, helped entice him to come to Inter-Miami, this more fun way, maybe, of making money than just straight up getting $200 million a year. Yeah. I've seen some of the reports, all those bullet points that you itemize, I kind of been exposed to those as well. Obviously the devil is in the details. What exact percentage of streaming revenue is Messi getting? Exactly what percentage of merchandise that DSL is Messi getting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you compile all that together, and this is just speculation on my part, but I would probably wager that on net, it is a better financial deal even than the $1 billion, with a B, dollar plus that Saudi Arabia was offering. And not to mention, do you want to go to Saudi Arabia with your wife and your kids? Or do you want to go to Miami, right? I think you kind of want to go to Miami. And it just makes way more sense across all dimensions, economics included. I think it's very smart to think about yeah, getting ownership stake or percentage points on sales, that's usually a lot more valuable than cold, hard cash, at least in the long run. Just to add to that, David Beckham took a 70% wage cut from his last contract to join the LA Galaxy. He was making $5 million a year, I think, with the Galaxy, but he got a percentage of all the team's revenue. And we all know he had a clause in his contract to buy an MLS club for only $25 million when he retires. So that 70% wage cut turned into 200 million in those five years at the Galaxy, and then an additional 500 million in now owning an MLS team. Yeah, ownership is where it's at, T. Ownership is where it's at. It's not getting paid. Ownership is next level, next boss level. It's graduating to a different strata. And again, I don't wanna linger, but this is why an open ecosystem is important. This is why promotion relegation is important because everybody gets to be their own boss. The, the Mexican community here in Southern California can band together, start a club, earn their way as high as they possibly can, and they own and operate it the way that they see fit with nobody telling them what they can and what they cannot do. That is bringing in the community. Does it make sense? Versus, ooh, there's a nice Mexican-American or Latino-American player or coach. We're going to hire them to show that we're diverse and open and inclusive, whatever. We're going to hire them. We'll pay them whatever we're going to pay them. And great. No, but that person is an employee and doesn't have ownership. Again, the messy thing, ownership stake, that's where it's at. Congratulations to him. And yeah, man, you can already see the attention. I'm sure you saw the other headlines of, Inter Miami's Instagram account, what it was previously, the amount of followers versus what it is now. People are going to tune in to more and more streams. People are obviously going to go to the stadium wherever Messi goes to play. So overall, it's win-win for everybody. Yeah, I don't see a downside, frankly speaking, but let's call it what it is. Messi is retiring from competitive professional club football. This is just true it's as if you taylor are done and you're going to go play i don't know in some 
indoor recreational league when you're over 30 and it's over 30 co-ed or whatever you're going to go. And yeah, you still want to win the games. Sure. But is that the same thing? It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And you talked about it. Everyone wants to see Messi. People from all over the world are going to buy the Apple streaming service. They're going to go to the stadiums. They want to see Messi. And all of this money is likely to be made. Messi's going to get some of it. Inter-Miami is going to get some of it. MLS is going to get a lot of it, I'm sure. But still, the players on Inter-Miami, the total wages that the team is being paid will still only be around $5, 6000000 million. So there's going to be a ton of money left over because of salary cap. And it's up to the owners now because they have all the power. It's up to MLS now. How is this money being used? Is it going to be put into a youth academy or why can't it be put into building a roster? Why can't you add another five, 10 million to player wages on Inter Miami's team and just continue to build the team? But who knows? Who knows where that money is going to go? Yeah, it's super interesting to think of two fronts. One is trying to, us common folk, right? Trying to wrap our head around what actually is a lot of money versus what isn't. I'll give you an example. When a player is sold from MLS overseas, let's say a player is sold to keep the number simple for 5 million bucks. Everybody's like, oh, wow, FC Dallas sold so-and-so for 5 million. That's amazing. That's a huge amount of money that's coming in. That should be the business model is like develop and sell for 2 million, 3 million, 5 million, 10 million or whatever. That's incredible amount of money. It's not, okay? Because if you are a billionaire with a B owner of one of these organizations, $5 million, okay? If you're worth 5 billion with a B, $5 million is three zeros smaller. So what does that mean? That is the difference between $1,000 and $1. So Taylor, let's say you have $1,000 in your bank account, okay? And then you sold a pencil or whatever, and you got $1. For people to be like, oh my God, that's amazing, Taylor. You should be selling pencils. You're like, I could give a shit. You know, I could give the pencil away for free. It really doesn't make a difference. Having $1,000 in my bank account or $1,001 in my bank account. I'm trying to communicate the relative scale of wealth and things and what actually does one million dollars mean to a billionaire with a b no i think this is important to grasp right because you're talking about salary caps and you're talking about should it be raised should it be lowered what is good and from a billionaire's perspective it's not really a driver for them if that makes sense yes it does and i don't know any of the mls owners they're all billionaires obviously they have this five million dollars if they wanted to put it in player wages, I don't know if they do, but if they wanted to, they can't. They're not allowed to. The league is not allowing them to spend their money how they want. And if it's $5 million, which is peanuts to them, why can't they spend the money on MLS? Why can't they spend the money on growing their roster? They don't need it. They really don't need it. Why can't they spend it on their own team? Yeah, it's a good question, man. The other point I forgot to mention is one of the reasons that the salary budget has gone up and progressively steps up over time, one of the drivers could also be the competitive global marketplace. So the world is now a lot more global than it was in 1996. There's a lot more information flow. There's a lot more data, a lot more stats, a lot more broadcast, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
So clubs the world over can scout, can do their homework on American players, on MLS players, or players who haven't even graduated to being MLS. They could be 15, 16, 17 years of age and still be in academies or in USL. And they can offer those players to come overseas and play there and potentially end up making good money. So MLS has had to start competing with salaries overseas in that regard. Because if you're a young, hot prospect on a youth national team, you're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age, why sign a contract for four or five years making 80, 90, 100K a year here, which is great to start with, but you're locked in for a long time versus maybe going overseas, making the same, making less even, but you know that the sky's the limit overseas. So if you bet on yourself within two, three, five, seven years overseas, you could be easily in seven-figure territory, easily, if you're that good. But if you sign here, mm, I don't know, because of the way the salary cap is structured, the way the rosters are structured, you might be stuck for a very long time, maybe forever, uh, and not fulfill your economic potential. So MLS has kind of had to react to that and adjust. So they launched, say, the Under-22 initiative for example, where it allows teams to now get maybe a homegrown player. I mean, not a homegrown player, we're just talking about the youth here. You can pay them between 200 and 600 K now, where before that didn't exist. So now all of a sudden, if you're a homegrown, hey, maybe I do sign here. Maybe I will get this under 22 initiative money. Maybe I will make 500 K when I'm 21 years old. And maybe I don't have to go overseas. So you see competition, my point is competition overseas is what has driven MLS, its owners, to adjust how they build rosters and the salary cap, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the only way, T, is if there's market dynamics coming from outside that forces the league and the owners to change the way that they do business. That's interesting. And salary cap has prevented them from really getting the whole scope, the whole global aspect of younger players and bringing in younger talented players until the next year when they change the rules to allow for that. And I'm asking right now, when salary cap was in place, when we weren't allowed to spend this money that we're making, were MLS teams expanding their global network of scouts? Any big team in Europe, you know this, they have a global network of scouts in pretty much every country around the world, all working together, all trying to find every great player imaginable in the smallest corner of earth to maybe bring them over to their club. Yeah. Was money being spent on expanding our scouting networks? Another great question. I think the whole scouting topic started being more and more exposed a handful of years ago. There were reports coming out in the media finally, because obviously we've known this for much, much longer about how abysmal the scouting was here, not just for the national team programs, but for the MLS franchises themselves for two reasons. One is we've spoken about how MLS is an entertainment product and they don't need sporting excellence. Okay, so if you don't need sporting excellence to have business success, why have a scouting department? Why have a big scouting department? But why have this global network or big network when sporting excellence doesn't really matter, doesn't impact the bottom line? That's one avenue. The second thing is now it has improved. And again, it's improved because of external forces and external pressures has forced the franchises to start doing more of this work. How so? 
We talked about the under 22 initiative. We talked about raising the salary cap and player wages as a consequence of global competition. And now as a consequence of that, the marketplace for the type of player a franchise can acquire here has expanded because now you can have TAM players. You can have players making between 600K and 1.6 million on your roster. So it makes sense to have actual scouts or a little bit bigger scouting department across the globe. Okay, who are the $1 million players or so that we can bring in? Before it didn't exist. So why? Why have a scouting department to, to do that? That's just one example. Yeah. My question off of that is, I want to know how much has the salary cap rules changed in the last five years even? Because we have TAM players now and that has expanded, like you said, the type of players you can bring into your roster. How different is it now than it was five years ago? Taylor, I don't even know. What is the salary cap? I don't even know what that number is. From five years ago? I don't know. The rules have been changed each of the last two or three years. The salary cap right now is 5600000 I want to say, with all of these various different rules with the under-22 initiative. The individual player can't take up more than 600000 of the salary cap. You don't have the answer to this question, but the rules have changed so much in the last two, three years even, and I'm sure they've changed so much in the last five years. At what point do you realize, oh, we're changing the rules drastically every year? What's the point where you need to change something? External pressure, Taylor. I'm telling you right now, it's external competition. Competition is what drives change. If you have no competition, you just sit there, do nothing. Competition is the focal point of everything. I just asked ChatGPT right now. So if you don't mind, let me see. Let's see here. So ChatGPT can hallucinate from time to time, and it's not entirely reliable. But for many things, sometimes it's pretty good. I'll just read off a few figures here. 1996. So this is when MLS first started. This is telling me the salary cap was $1.2 million per team. Let's go to intervals of maybe five years. 2001, the salary cap was $2.3 million. So basically doubled from 96 to 2001. 2006, the salary cap was increased another 2 million. So it looks like it doubled five years after that. So let's fast forward here to 2021. It says that the salary cap is 4.9 million. And what did you say you read it is today? 5,210,000 is what it is. Got it. I try to avoid this topic every time I see an article or a tweet or something, social media talking about the salary cap and all this stuff. I don't give it that much attention because I think what's more important due to the way things are structured is how many DPs can you have? How many TAM players can you have? How many under 22 initiative players can you have? And then how many senior roster spots can you have? Basically the four strata and then how much everybody can make within those boxes. Because then it just all gets complicated trying to understand how everything fits within 5.4 million. It could care less what that looks like because the team can spend whatever the hell it wants on a DP. Yeah, the salary cap is a relative number, especially with each individual player only being allowed to take up 600,000. But it is those four different stratas that you talked about, which are the regulations and rules that are the biggest ones that teams have to deal with and making their roster. It's really weird, dude. The whole thing's weird. It's almost like a board game. It's almost like the front offices, the GMs, the technical directors, whatever, 
it's almost like they're playing this little game of like Monopoly. I don't know if that's the right analogy or not, but they're playing some silly board game. Everything has to fit into these little puzzle pieces. It's really weird, man. I wish they can just say, hey, guys, you can spend $20 million on your roster. Go have at it. Go. And that's not crazy. 20 million is not crazy in the grand scheme of professional sports leagues of this magnitude. Well, not at all, especially these days. You see it in other sports in the U.S. You see it in soccer in Europe. Spending 20 million is is peanuts, like you said. And we might as well just see what happens. There are many opinions from people all over the world who think that MLS leadership just needs to step out of the way. And like you said, competition, the marketplace, it will drive itself. You don't need all these super complicated and convoluted rules to make everything fair for everyone. The marketplace will drive itself. It's an entertainment product, T. You just have to remember that and then everything makes sense. Absolutely everything makes sense if we just acknowledge it's an entertainment product. It's not a sports competition, like in the truest, deepest sense of the word. Even all this talk of salary cap and TAM and GAM and homegrown and DP, all this sort of stuff is good stuff for media, right? To generate articles and to generate podcasts and generate YouTube stuff. And every transfer window, people are writing stuff about this and tweeting. It's fuel for the media. Yeah. And media is entertainment as well. And people get stuck in this entertainment cycle. If you don't have TAM and GAM and all this complicated sort of thing and, oh, I trade. It's hilarious, Taylor, when I see something like, ooh, Philadelphia Union acquired so-and-so from Houston Dynamo for $1 million in GAM. I'm like, what? Huh? Nobody paid a million dollars. Philadelphia Union did not pay Houston $1 million to acquire this player. They basically just shifted around this thing that's called GAM or whatever the hell it is on a ledger. And now Houston has ooh, a little bit more flexibility with the roster rules to maybe acquire a certain type of player versus another. Does that make sense? But it's funny how they architect all this and the language around it all and how it's sold to the public as if a player got acquired for $1 million. No, they didn't. There was no exchange of money done. That's super interesting because I've thought the same thing before I really knew about Tam and Gam. Like, oh, this team just got Sebastian Legette for 500000 in Gam. Great. Okay, good for him. Maybe he got a little bit of that money in a transfer fee or something. But seems like, no, it was just writing something down on a piece of paper, change the books a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations to the team who sold, sold in quotes, legit. You now have an extra half million in flexibility to fit within the puzzle pieces of this convoluted roster rule sort of thing. There was no, guys, in case anybody out there is still confused, there was no money transferred from one franchise to another. Nobody made any money. That's crazy. I see on Instagram... All these rumors, oh, Christian Pulisic is being targeted by AC Milan for $20 million. That would be real money. And the focus of that is, sure, the $20 million, but the AC Milan fans are going to be like, okay, do we really want Christian Pulisic on our roster? Is he going to make our team better? And you see the kind of trades that happen in the MLS. Every trade I've seen on Instagram about the MLS has 
in some way, shape, or form included Tam or Gam. And it just makes no sense. But look, it's working because we're talking about it. There's real risks overseas, like real money changing hands is real risk. So you really have to do your homework. You really have to be, ooh, convinced you're making a smart transaction on both sides of the equation. Yeah. Here, that risk profile doesn't really exist. So ah, if Sebastian Legit doesn't work out, eh, I mean, we didn't pay anything for him really. Yeah. You talked about that flexibility. Is there a big difference? If I reach down and touch my ankles, is it that much better if I reach down and touch my toes? That's the risk that they're taking, right? That's the deal they just made to acquire a certain player or sell a different player. Yeah. And look, I think MLS has been very smart in the way they built everything. I admire it. It's all awesome from a business perspective. Yeah. For their business. They've done fantastic. From the sporting side of the equation, not so much. That's all. And you say, oh, but everything's business, Gary. You think Chelsea Football Club isn't a business? Of course it's a business. Of course it is. But it's a standalone business. And they are successful or not successful in very large part due to their sporting success, right? Sporting success, good, business good. Sporting success, bad, business bad. That's how it is around the world here and not so much come in last place no big deal you know it was a rebuilding year guys we have a lot of young players coming through next year it will be different and then if you're in last place and then next year you kind of make the playoffs which is basically your ninth place out of 18 <laughs> i mean your mid table oh resounding success everything is great all is well on the home front yeah. And by the way, the difference in business success between being last place and making the playoffs here, not so much. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But Messi's going to make 50 million. It's kind of funny, Taylor, like how things are around here as an entertainment product where every franchise and every community of every franchise is supporting Inter Miami and, oh, this is amazing or whatever. If you're overseas, you don't see, just to make it crystal clear, you don't see Barcelona and the people of Barcelona being like, oh, Mbappe is coming to Real Madrid. All right, guys. Yeah, this is awesome. Woohoo. Congratulations. And trying to help their social media out and try to pump up everybody in Madrid. And you don't see people of Valencia saying, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, good job, Madrid. We're rooting for you. Hopefully you guys are really successful next year. But that's what happens here. Yeah. And I don't think it ended up with this being the deal, but I saw this thing that was rumored that all MLS teams would pay Messi's salary, not just Inter-Miami. Again, we'll never know because it's a private company and there's no transparency and they can make or break the rules as they see fit. No problem. Nobody will ever be the wiser. But sure, like I said before, MLS is the club. The franchises are just teams that that one club owns. You know how youth soccer is here, Taylor. Let's talk about Real SoCal. Real SoCal is the club and the club has a whole bunch of teams. MLS is the club and MLS has a bunch of teams. One team is in Portland, one team is in Dallas, one team is in LA or two teams are in LA or one team is in Carson, right? However you want to look at it, but the club is MLS. So when you look at it through that lens, yeah, it makes total sense that all the franchises or all the owners, right, of the franchises all pitch in 
to get this player to play for one of their teams. And I don't know if there is a route right now out of this situation that we have where MLS is the one club and all these different teams in MLS are just a part of the one club. But yeah. salary cap is definitely one of the ways they keep it that way and not allow these franchises to be individuals. Yeah, well, it sucks for players too because players can't find their economic value here. If you're my player, Taylor, and you're playing for Houston, I can't, I mean, I could shop you around to the other MLS franchises, no problem, but I can't generate a bidding war for your services between MLS franchises. Gary, I'll pay Taylor 300K. No, Gary, don't, uh, half a million over here. No, Gary, Gary, 650. And, and your home club, your Houston, where you're currently at, They'll come up with a new deal for you to keep you there. There is no competition for your services here because they're all on the same team. They don't compete with each other. And then you have the structure that kind of limits what they can do, right? Because, well, is Taylor a senior roster player? Is he uh, under 22? Is he a TAM player? Is he a DP? First, they categorize you like that. And then they have to see if they have room within their category currently in their roster, whether they can even pursue you or not. But if you abolish the categories, everybody and anybody can pursue you. They're not looking at, okay, where would he fit? Yeah, it really sucks for the player. And bring up Lionel Messi again, who's making all this kind of money. Obviously, there are players on a team who are more important than other players. But Messi is one of 11 players on the field. I would not feel great if my teammate was making $150 million more than I am. <laughs> it is interesting. That disparity is interesting. And the psychology surrounding it is kind of interesting too. Because you could have a player on your roster, you're right. And this kind of happens around the world, but I think it's exacerbated here. You could have a teammate of yours in less franchise that's making 1.5 million or 1 million or 600, 700K, and you're on 100K or 150, and you're the starter. And they're not even starting games because for whatever reason, the coach thinks that you're a better asset to the team. And the other guy is making seven times your salary, you know, and you're stuck there for three more years making your salary. Yeah, there's no other way of putting it. This is the reality in MLS. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.